Welcome to Guardians of the Family. You're here with Kimberly Lowry and Amy Earle. And we are excited to be talking with you today. And today our podcast is going to be about Eve. And we've had Eve on our list to talk about since we decided to do a podcast. So we're, deci- we're excited to finally be able to talk about her today. Yeah, we have um, been trying to figure out the right place and the right time to, to talk about her. And it's been an interesting evolution to get to this place. And even this morning, um, as we were going over what we were going to share, it, it evolved a little bit more. And each time we went to, we have been discussing, so we've been discussing Eve for almost a year now and we keep coming back to her and where do we, where does she fit into what we want to talk about? And at first the idea was, is there enough to talk about? Mm -hmm. And now I think we could do a whole podcast series just yeah. on just on Eve. There's been so much um, information yeah. and discoveries. And um, so we're excited to share um, at least a little bit of what we've uncovered and, and discussed over the last year. Yeah. And I want to um, emphasize the point about that we talked about in our first podcast about um, discussing with another person because as Amy and I read and then come together and discuss everything that we've read takes on a whole new meaning and a whole new dimension. And then you go back and read again and everything that you read the first time has a whole new meaning because of your greater knowledge after discussing. And then it just continues that way as you read and discuss and read and discuss. And so that's how important discussing with somebody is. And so if you are reading and following along with us, That's great. Keep doing that. But also find somebody that you can discuss with, whether that be your spouse or a sister or friend or your mother. Find somebody to discuss with, and your your understanding will deepen and increase as you discuss what you're reading. And it's transformational. We started with, um, so one of the books that we're going to be discussing today is Women of the Old Testament, um, from Camille Franck Olson, and obviously we're the chapter on Eve. And on a, on a cursory read, it was very interesting. And, mm-hmm. and, but then as we started reading and delving in and talking about each of the little topics, then um, we brought in, that led to looking for conference talks and essays, yeah. which led to, I mean, we're reading Bible commentaries and yeah. another book, <laughs> Um, the gift of giving life. That's a book on essays and, or that is a book of essays. Um, And so it, that it, you take one subject and even Mm -hmm. one, one book, one essay, and you can, and this actually, we live in a world of excess and abundance I even think about my library where I have thousands of books on the shelf. And one of, um, one of the books that we read a lot with our kids, I'm totally going off on a tangent here, but um, (laughs) is sign of the beaver. Mm -hmm. And um, when they're younger and in sign, sign of the beaver, this young boy, he has, they have two books. They have the Bible, and then he has, do you remember what book it is that he has? It was Robinson Crusoe. I think that's what it is. Yeah. And he has read that over and over and over again, and they've discussed it with their family. And, um, and I, 
when I first read that, I thought, one book, how would you, how sad, like we mm-hmm. have such a plethora, but to go back and read something again and again and yeah. discuss it is is a really powerful thing. And I think we can learn something from that to just, it's not about getting on to the next thing, but about really yeah. um, digging deep. Yeah. And understanding. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think I've read this chapter in women of the old Testament, the chapter on Eve 10 times, and I've gotten something new every time. And so that's how powerful it is to read something over and over again. Yeah. So with that being said, first off, we're going to apologize if our recording's a little bit noisy in the back background noises today. Right. <laughs> Amy's we're, in a hotel. My husband's up getting ready for work. He's building a fire because it's 20 below outside. So there's going to be some background noise. Oh, and we're dog sitting another dog. So who knows how that's going <laughs> to play out in the recording. But. Much rather be in a hotel than in 20 below. So I'm going with <laughs> So would I. <laughs> I'd rather be in a hotel than 20 below too. Okay, so today we wanted to start out, out with a quote. And this is um, from Julie B. Beck in an article called Teaching the Doctrine of the Family. And she says, let's talk first of all about the theology of the family and why seminary and institute teachers need to understand and teach this. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have a theology of the family. It's based on the creation, the fall, and the atonement. And the first time I read that, I'm like, it is? How does the family fit into that? I don't understand that at all. I mean, I was like, this was like a few months ago when I read this. Um, And I've been a member of the Church of Jesus Christ all my life. She says, I don't know how well your students understand that. They may be able to recite the facts about the creation, but do they know that this is a theology of the family? The creation of the earth was the creation of an earth where a family could live. It was a creation of a man and a woman who were the two essential halves of a family. It was not about a creation of a man and a woman who happened to have a family. It was intentional all along that Adam and Eve form an eternal family. It was part of the plan that these two be sealed and form an eternal unit. That was the plan of happiness. The fall provided a way for the family to grow. Through the leadership of Eve and Adam, they chose to have an eternal experience. The fall made it possible for Adam and Eve to have a family, to have sons and daughters. They needed to grow in numbers and grow in experience. The fall provided that for the family. The atonement allows for the family to be sealed together eternally. It allows for families to have eternal growth and perfection. The plan of happiness and the plan of salvation was a plan created for families. I don't think very many of the rising generation understand that the main pillars of our theology are centered in the family. And that is just so powerful to me. And um, that's why we're here. We came from a family. We're here to have families. The fall was necessary for us to have families. And then the atonement allows for our families to be together forever. And I think that quote, going back and applying it to the idea that this is the purpose of our podcast. We're called the guardians of the family. Um, And when you read something like that and you recognize, it's one thing to say families are really important. It's one Mm -hmm. thing to say, um, what is it that the proclamation says? The family is central to the creator's plan for the eternal destiny of his children. And then to read that 
that and to recognize the reason, the whole reason for creation, Mm -hmm. the reason that there was a fall and the reason we have an atonement. This is about the family. That is powerful. That makes you recognize um, a totally another level of understanding of why it's so important to discuss um, Adam and Eve and the creation yeah. and Adam and Eve and their relationship and who was Eve to Adam and what is her role and what is mm-hmm. it in turn then what is our role? I mean, there's so many levels here of um, to discuss. Yeah. And as we've been discussing, um, everybody knows the creation story. We're not going to go into the creation story that much. Um, but I think a lot of us don't understand the fall. And that was something that we discussed a lot. And we don't know all the answers, and we don't have all the answers. So that's why it's important for you to read and study on your own. Um, because God can give you revelation and lead you to the answers that you need. But something that we came across, um, and this was in The Great Plan of Happiness by Elder Dallin H. Oaks. And um, he talks about Eve's decision and about the fall, and um, I'm going to read a little bit of that, just a second. Um, Okay, so first off, let's say that God gave them the commandments to be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth, subdue the earth, and have dominion over every living thing. And those were the first commandments that he gave them while they were in the Garden of Eden. But all of those were impossible to fulfill while they were in the Garden because they were in this um, transitionary state and there was no death and there was there was also no growth and no no. Well, there could be growth and learning, but not to the extent that they needed. And they weren't able to have children, and they weren't able to um, subdue the earth. Those, those things were not needed. And so, um, let's see. This is, so this is from that talk I was talking about. Be fruitful and multiply. This commandment was first in sequence and first in importance. It was essential that God's spirit children have mortal birth and an opportunity to progress, progress toward eternal life. Um, Adam and Eve received the first commandment. When Adam and Eve received the first commandment, they were in a transitional state, no longer in the spirit world, but with physical bodies, not yet subject to death and not yet capable of procreation. They could not fulfill the father's first commandment without transgressing the barrier between the bliss of the garden of Eden and the terrible trials and wonderful opportunities of mortal life. For reasons that have not been revealed, this transition or fall could not happen without a transgression, an exercise of moral agency amounting to a willful breaking of a law. This would be a planned offense, a formality to serve an eternal purpose. And so we feel like they had to have the chance to choose. They had to make that choice themselves. It could not be God's choice. And that's why he said, that's why he gave them two choices. You can eat of these two different trees, but then there had to be two different consequences. And, um, Elder Joseph Fielding Smith in the same article, he quotes him and and says, I never speak of the part Eve took in the fall as a sin, nor do I accuse Adam of a sin. This was a transgression of the law, but not a sin, for it was something that Adam and Eve had to do. And then he continues on. This This suggested contrast between a sin and transgression reminds us 
of the careful wording in the second article of faith. We believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. And so there's a distinction between a sin and transgression. And they had to choose for themselves in order to continue their growth and learning, in order to be able to have children um, and to leave the garden. And I think that goes along really well with one of the um, discussions that we had in the beauty of femininity. Um, we talked about the importance in the creation of, of Eve and who Eve was to Adam. And the, let's see, in Hebrew, so in the, in the scriptures it says that God created a helpmeet. Um, and the, so we talked about what that meant a little bit in that podcast. And I think this goes along really well right here because part of that decision of eating of the tree or not part of that decision, what Eve made that decision. She, she had a choice. Um, and I think that this, if we understand who Eve was and who she was in relation to Adam as far as being a helpmeet and um, as the first woman and the mother of all things, we can see that this choice for her became a really pivotal point and it, and it became, and it became a choice because of what she knew needed to happen. Mm. And so let's just review really quick the idea of the Ezra Konegdo. Um, And so last time we took it from our discussion was from um, Donna Goff's beauty of femininity. She discusses this idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're going to talk about it from, women of the old Testament. And so the Hebrew, the Hebrew root for, for help me, the Hebrew words um, are the first word Ezer, um comes from the word is translated to help. Um, and often, and we t- this, when we were discussing um, beauty of femininity, we talked about how help meet has been, um, change to help mate and Mm -hmm. like just has been counterfeited down the road um, or through history. And so now let's go back to the original, to the idea of a help meet and what that means. And um, so the first word Ezer translated help implies not a subordinate, but rather someone who has the strength to do what another cannot do for himself. Um. Um, Hebrew scholar Donald W. Perry has argued that the woman's unique strength or help is a life giver or a life force. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And um, Amy was coughing. (laughs) I was. The same Hebrew word Ezer, translated help, appears numerous times in the Bible. The root is the basis for this name of of the scribe Ezra and frequently appears in reference to God. For example, God is the one who rescues us in our distress, or he has strength to power, strength and power to save. In this way, women are types of Christ. Um, 
And this is the idea that there are things that we as women do for our spouses, for our families, for other people that they cannot do for themselves. And when we're really looking at that idea of becoming um, mothers and, mm-hmm. and a help meet to our spouse, this, it's not that we are just helping our husband out. Like, hey, he's, yeah. he needs some help. We're going to help. We're actually doing things that they cannot do for themselves. Yeah. And um, when you consider that, and is this where, um, well, okay. So then now should we talk about the idea of the beguiled? Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, and this is from the book, The Gift of Giving Life. And it's in an essay by Heather Farrell. And it's called We Are Each Eve. And it's on page two if you're interested. And um, it says, no matter who we are, where we live, or what we believe on this earth, share a common and powerful heritage. We are all daughters of Eve. We know that by choosing to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Eve brought pain, sorrow, and death into the world. Throughout history, she has been vilified and condemned for her choice, and much of the world's sorrows have been blamed on her supposed poor judgment and gullibility. Um, then she says, Elder Dallin H. Oaks has said, some Christians condemn Eve for her act, concluding that she and her daughters are somehow flawed by it, not the Latter-day Saints. We celebrate Eve's act and honor her wisdom and courage in the great episode called The Fall. In truth, given what Latter-day Saints know, about Eve's eternal character, it is hard to imagine Eve as a passive actor in the great drama of the fall or as someone who could be easily deceived by any of Satan's lies. So let's just talk about that for a minute. Um, We don't believe that Eve thwarted God's plan. We believe that because of her choice and the choice that she made, she helped God's plan to continue to go forward. We don't believe that an um, all-knowing, all-powerful God would put um, Adam and Eve in a situation where they could thwart his plan and where he would have to come up with a new plan. We believe that um, their choice was necessary for life to come into the world, for death to come into the world, for us to be able to have the choice and to choose God. And, um, and that's why an atonement was necessary because we would mess up because we would um, make mistakes. And so then that's why um, we had a need for a savior and then she goes on to say, Dr. Nima Ashanasa, Ashanasi, I don't know how to say that. The Hebrew scholar said that in Hebrew, the word which is translated as beguiled in the Bible does not mean tricked or deceived, as we commonly think. Rather, the Hebrew word is a rare verb that indicates an intense multi-level experience, evoking great emotional, psycho- psychological, and or spiritual trauma. As as Sinese explained, it is likely that Eve's intense multi-level experience, this beguiling by the serpent, was the catalyst that caused Eve to ponder and evaluate what her role and purpose in the garden really was. We don't know how long she sought for understanding, but we know she found it because we read that the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it became pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired and to make one wise. So imagine yourself as Eve. You've been given this commandment by God to multiply and replenish the earth and to be fruitful and yet you can't do that in the garden and so now and you've been given a, a second yeah to that there is a tree that is going to give you the knowledge that you need now 
you are not supposed to eat of that, but at the same time, you get to choose. So we have two different things happening there. We have, yeah. and coming back to this idea of, of Eve, if, and this to me is a really powerful idea that, first of all, we do have a God who's an all-knowing God who knows the end from the beginning. And certainly his choice for the mother of all things, his choice for the woman to come down and start the whole plan mm-hmm. here, or can at least continue the plan as it was already put into place, he is going to choose somebody who's going to be able to make the right decisions, who's right. going to fulfill his plan in the yeah. way that he has it set out. Yeah. And um, I have two different quotes. I have two different places I want to go with this. So I, I, I'm going to start <laughs> with this one. I have the same problem. But I just want to say, like, Eve had the vision, I think. And that's what our role as women is. We have the vision and we are the guardian of the family. And it is part of our divine nature to want to nurture and to bear children. And Eve, we think, had that the same desires. Um, we know she did because she chose to partake of the fruit. So she had the vision of what needed to happen and then she was willing to do it. And that's so, where we have um, in this, it, this essay continues and it says, Eve saw, she wasn't deceived. She made a conscious choice. Her choice is even more powerful when we remember that Eve wouldn't have known about the atonement or about the savior until after she had eaten the fruit. Mm-hmm. In what was one of the bravest acts ever done, Eve ate, thinking that she was going to die, but willing to suffer those consequences if it meant being able to bring children into the world. Wow. Yeah. And then she says, in view of her sacrifice, one can only imagine her incredible joy when God revealed the plan of salvation. And so don't you think it was necessary for them to know about the plan of salvation when they went into the world? They are leaving this cushy garden of Eden and they're sent out into the, the world. Now they're prepared with the knowledge that there is a plan. Now they're prepared with the knowledge that God is sending a savior to redeem them when they fall, to redeem them from their sins, to redeem them from physical death and spiritual death. Now they're equipped with the tools that they need to be able to go into the world. And they have that because of the choice Eve made. Yeah. Had that not happened, there was a suspended animation happening in the garden until she was, Mm -hmm. until they were ready to make that next step to choose for themselves and to choose a hardship to choose, to choose that but for the greater good, because this is our divine nature. This is how we find um, alignment with Eve. At least this is, I have found a sisterhood with Eve in reading this and understanding Mm -hmm. I I have been through, can I say hell, having children? (laughs) Like I have through, um, stillbirths and premature children and hospitals and adoption. And I've had all kinds of experiences bringing children into this world. And I would, I would do it all over again. That's how strong the desire to Mm -hmm. be a mother 
and have, have that is. And so I find this kinship with Eve who had to make a really difficult, you know, who, who had to make this choice and that, um, do you want to read that, um, on page, the first page of the Eve chapter where it talks about how we view Eve? Yes. Yes. Um, because this, this is, this makes me like, yes. Okay. Um, appreciation for our first mother's virtues and purposes is the one you want me to read. Yeah. Shapes our consideration of other women in scripture and our interpretation of Eve, Eve's role in the fall likely influences the manner in which we regard women in general. For example, if we scorn mother Eve as the cause of the world's woes and the loss of paradise for humankind, we are apt to see women as weak, incapable, overly emotional, reactive, vulnerable, and less intelligent than men. If, however, we consider Eve's decision in the Garden of Eden as courageous and faith-driven, and the results of that decision to be conducive to God's plan, we are more likely to recognize intelligence, strength, rational thinking, and great ability in women in general. And don't you think that that's how we view ourselves as well? Like, if we view Eve's choice is a mistake and that she um, was weak and incapable and over-emotional and reactive, then that's how we view all women. We view ourselves that way. But if we view her as... And we allow ourselves yeah. to be put in, in a subservient position to men. Mm-hmm. See, God didn't bring Eve in to thwart the plan and to be to have made a mistake from the get-go and then, you know, be trotting behind Adam. He brought Eve in because she was essential to the plan and because she was a helpmeet and because she could do things that Adam could not do. She could bring the children in. She knew she needed to bring children into the world. That's powerful. And from that perspective, and I can see how I can align my role as a wife, as a woman, as a mother, and use Eve's example of somebody who, who understands and who can seek, an, does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> it, yes. That's a really powerful. Yeah. Well, going back to the article um, with Heather Farrell, we are each Eve. She says, as daughters of Eve, modern women must make similar choices we each get to decide whether we will partake of the fruit by choosing to welcome children into our homes or whether we will remain in a figurative Eden. The choice today is no less difficult than Eve's because Satan is still trying his hardest to beguile Eve's daughters and confuse them about their divine missions. We are each Eve. We each have to decide whether we're going to take that role upon us. We don't know the consequences of having children. We don't know when you decide that you're going to have a child, you don't know if there's going to be a stillbirth. You don't know how hard your pregnancy is. You don't know how your children are going to turn out. You don't. Well, and what about the women when you decide to open your heart and say, I want to have children yeah, and then you can't have children and mm-hmm. the, the pain and the sorrow that that road leads to, and it yes. leads to opening up to your, to being vulnerable and authentic to this divine nature mm-hmm. that we have inside and we don't know what lies ahead. Yeah. And that's the part that you still are willing to walk out in faith. Yeah. Are we willing to give up the comforts of what we know now 
to fulfill this desire that we have, this God-given desire to have a family, not knowing all the consequences, but knowing that joy comes, knowing that that's where happiness is in the family. Right. And comes from fulfilling our divine mission and our divine roles from God. And that it, it all comes down to work, like the choice that we make. And this is in, uh, what essay is this? Travail and Joy in the Gift of Giving Life, also by Heather Farrell. And um, she says, our mortal experience is guaranteed to include travail. When God, and, when God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, he gave them two different stewardships, but explained to them that both would require the same sort of work and effort. Just as Adam would have to labor to raise food from the ground, Eve would also have to labor to bring children into the world. It is a beautiful symbolism that the fruit of both Adam's and Eve's travail is continuing life. God was teaching them in a very powerful and unforgettable way their first eternal lesson. He was teaching them that bringing forth life in any form involves effort, but that this work can be filled with joy. Yeah. I love that. That we bring life into the world and that our husband's job is to support that life and to help life grow. And I think that's a beautiful way of um, talking about it and talking about our different roles and showing our different roles. And that they are both difficult. Yeah. This is, we don't get out of this experience without passing through difficulties. And it's actually through the difficult times that, that we grow, that we um, increase our knowledge and our faith. It's when we are humbled, we, become, we come closer to the Lord. Um, it's through all of these experiences that, and we can see that, Adam and Eve could not remain in the garden. They could not progress. They could not yeah. come to the fullness of what was waiting for them by yeah. choosing easy and yeah. choosing safe. Yeah. Yeah. And I like in women of the women of the old Testament. Um, this is on page 15. Um, she says the consequences that God pronounced after Adam and Eve's transgression underscore our knowledge that he had always intended them to leave the garden. Everything he does is for the benefit of the world. A careful reading of the text shows that two things were cursed and neither was Adam or Eve. We often think about, you know, Eve was cursed with sorrow, bringing children into the world with sorrow and travail. But um, she says, God cursed the serpent and the ground, and he specifically cursed the ground for Adam's sake. And she goes on to say, in contrast to his cursing the ground and the serpent, God strengthened and empowered Adam and Eve. Because of their transgression in the garden, Eve and Adam received from God opportunities for growth, not punishment. God bestowed a blessing of natural aversion or enmity between Satan and the woman and between Satan and her seed. Instinctively, the woman and her seed would be warned of evil. Discerning evil is a divinely bestowed blessing on all of Eve's children. And then further down, she says, God further rewarded Adam and Eve with recurring difficulties, hard work, and strength and partnership in the future. And then on the next page, um, she says, God also blessed Eve. Okay, wait, I'm not going to go there yet. But <laughs> we're gonna, I want to talk a little bit about more, um, the hard work, but 
So how do we look at that? Do we look at that as a curse that they had to work hard, that she had to bring children into the world through sorrow? Or do we look at it as it's a blessing? They were rewarded with the ability to work and the ability to have children and to bring children into the world. It's all in how we look at it. Um, and rewarded with difficulties. Yeah, which is hard to say, but... <laughs> But, but at the same time, going back to that idea that it is only through, think about yeah. it. Think about the really tough times in your life. Think about the times when you have just like been taken to your knees, when you have been so, um, when you have walked that really difficult time and what came on the other side of that. And yeah. it has been my experience that it's when I have walked through those times, that is when I have grown closer to my Heavenly Father. My testimony yeah. has increased and I have learned, I'm, I grow, I have, there's mm -hmm. something wonderful waiting. And so, um, and who of us even right now is not going through something right. where, that we think, I'd really rather not be going through this right now. Right. But when but, you come out on the other side and you look back and you're like, I learned so much. I would never go back to the way it was before. It I don't want to do it hard. again. <laughs> I don't want to do it again. Certainly not. <laughs> but I'm better for it. Yeah. yeah. And let's, there's a, um, can I talk about the, the, the one word, the difference of yes, that one I, word? That's made. why I stopped going on because I thought we needed to talk about that. Um, yeah. So this is, um, the idea of the difference of one word. And so as we've gone through, there's been several times when we have talked about the Hebrew um, translation and why it's important yeah. to go back to, to the original meaning and intent of the scripture and yeah. help meet is one of them. The idea of a, of somebody doing something that they can't do for themselves. Um, and we saw that in beguiled, the difference of beguiled, um, not being yeah. deceived, but going through a transformation um, yeah. of thought. And then we have um, this, the power of a word, and this is from the gift of giving life. In Genesis, in the original Hebrew Bible, the same language was used when God spoke to Adam and when God spoke to Eve. After the fall, God cursed the ground and said that both would have to work to survive. But after AD 200, translators, influenced by the horrible birthing conditions at the time, chose to translate God's words to Eve differently. Instead of bringing forth children by work, she would bring them forth in sorrow. This has become known as the curse of Eve and is now strongly embedded in biblical trans translations and in Western belief. And consider how a shift of a word yes. from instead of bringing forth children in work changing that to sorrow and how that has changed our whole perspective of yeah. motherhood and of eve that god said now you're going to bring forth your children in sorrow as opposed to you're bringing forth children in work and um and nobody can deny that bearing a child bringing a child into the world and raising a child is not work <laughs> That is like the best word to describe having a child, right? <laughs> Being forth a child in work. And I think you're still muted. <laughs> I am still muted. 
<laughs> and so that brings back to what you were going to go on. Yes. So the third thing that this book says that Eve was blessed with is that thy desire to, shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And so then I'm like, okay, she just barely told us that we were not cursed, but then she tells us um, that our husband, that he shall rule over us. And so we had a discussion about this because I'm like, what does this mean? And, and I think that she gives a really good um, definition of what this means. And so I'm going to read it. Um, well, and especially if we go back to, okay, so we've just gone through this whole help meet and mm -hmm. partners and walking side by side. And then we read, wait, and he's ruling over us. Right. And, so, and it's a, and it's, and we're blessed to have him rule over us. Okay. Although blessed with equal power, Conigdo, Adam and Eve complemented each other with their diversity. God gave each of them different gifts, challenges, and weaknesses. Such diversity reminded them that neither was enough alone. Just because some marriages since Adam and Eve's union have not reflected this inter interdependency does not mean that God's plan from the beginning is flawed. His teachings to our first parents underscore that man and woman need each other and they need him. His design is grounded in family and necessitated that Adam and Eve be united. By turning Eve's desire toward her husband, God fostered an interdependent companionship in which the woman needs the man as much as the man needs the woman. In addition, their resultant partnership created a healthy environment to sustain and support her multiple conceptions. Then she goes on to say, God's charge that Eve's husband shall rule over her elicits questions in a world plagued by unrighteous dominion. Selfish interpretations of this statement have allowed countless men over the centuries to justify debasing, humiliating, and abusing women. This consequence of partaking of the tree of knowledge may therefore say more about Adam's responsibility than any intended punishment for Eve. God assigned high standards for Adam and his sons in their responsibility to lead. President Gordon B. Hinckley interpreted the word rule to mean that the husband shall have a governing responsibility to provide for, to protect, to strengthen, and shield his wife. And I think of the word preside right there, and we learn that from the um, proclamation. With the wife's desires turned to strengthen and support her husband and his desires focused on protecting and strengthening his wife, we see a formula for mutual approbation and progression. And so I, if you look at it as a blessing that Adam's going to protect and preside and provide for you versus uh, uh, he's a ruler over me and it's a curse that he's a ruler over me, he's not ruling over you. He's well, there to preside and provide and protect. And that is a blessing. And this statement, like this sentence, this consequence of partaking of the tree of knowledge may therefore say more about Adam's responsibility mm -hmm. than any intended punishment for Eve. That's right. a powerful statement right there. Right. And the idea of we are a world plagued by unrighteous dominion. And yeah. I can see, let's like, I can see the idea of women like throwing off the shackles and saying, yeah. no longer, I will not be like ruled over by men with unrighteous yeah. um, desires. But yeah. let's go back to this, um, the idea of how much one word can change. Yeah. Um, Professor Perry, this is the, um, the Hebrew, we've quoted him a couple times in this, has suggested that the Hebrew preposition marked by the letter bet in the word translated over in the phrase rule over is often translated with in the Bible. Adam and yes. Eve could rule together in a partnership. So not rule over, but to rule yeah. with. And 
Yes. Like, think about this. This is the idea. We have all these little nuances of these mm-hmm. words. And if, and to me, I'm just saying, can we use common sense here? I mean, man and a woman, this is not, there is not an uneven ground here. We're, yeah. as women, we aren't walking behind. We are not, um, we're not in a shadow We are equal partners and we have our own responsibilities. And the challenge comes when we try, when we, when we leave our responsibilities, our roles, our divine nature behind and, and try to change into something to become like Mm -hmm. more like men or better than men. Or we, we shift. And instead of walking side by side in a partnership, fulfilling our divine nature while he fulfills his if we can do that, if we can, yeah. we can try to align ourselves, that's when we find the most joy and happiness. Yeah. As I was reading this last night, I was thinking that he, Adam needs Eve as a helpmeet, so as a love and support, and she needs him as a protector and a provider to provide for her while she has children. She's raising these children. She's brought these children in the world. It's her job to nurture them. She needs protection for her and her children. She needs somebody to provide the necessities of life, and that's Adam's role. And he needs the love and support that she can give. And together, when they're each fulfilling their role, they make a whole together. And everything works better that way. (laughs) And that brings us, we're we're kind of running out of time, but that brings us to this um, this last quote that we wanted to... To bring up here. And this is um, from Elder Bruce R. McConkie, and he says, Far from cursing Adam and Eve, God bless them to be equal and complementary partners for each other. Okay, he didn't say that, but that's the lines leading up to this. Um, Elder McConkie observed that in all dispensations and at all times when there are holy men, there are also holy women. Neither stands alone before the Lord. The exaltation of the one is dependent upon that of the other. An acceptance and appreciation for the mutual dependence that God designed to exist between man and woman is one of the most important purposes of the the scriptural record. Adam and Eve's example from the beginning ranks as a hallmark of marital partnership. Yeah. That kind of sums it up. This is, we have Adam and Eve as our examples. And Eve is a beautiful example um, of womanhood, of motherhood, yeah. and as a helpmeet to her husband. Yeah. And I can't think of anything to say to add to that because I'm good. I know. <laughs> so, um, Amen. <laughs> yes. So thank you for following along with us. We are... Um, grateful just for the opportunity um, that this gives us to discuss and to ponder and pray. And um, we're really looking forward to next week or not next week, but our next podcast is um, on Laddie. Yay. And we get to use this idea with you. Hopefully you're reading it and you get to come and discuss Laddie with us um, on the 9th of December. Yes. So it's a Saturday morning and we're going to do it in a zoom room. And At 9 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Is that the time we decided? Yep. And it'll so, probably last about an hour or so. And, and we'll you don't have, have to have read the whole book or finished the book or 
you don't even have to have open the book if you want to come and listen or participate, but we are so excited to, to meet you, those of you who we don't know, and to hear your thoughts, uh, hear your thoughts about the podcast. If you have any questions, you can ask them then. We can't wait to discuss with you and discuss Lottie because Lottie is such a fun book. I just love Lottie. <laughs> I know. It's going to be a fun transition to talk about that next. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.